our series uh, through the book of Jude, and I want you to go ahead and turn there with me if you would. The book of Jude, it's the next to last book in the Bible, just before Revelation. Uh, If you do not have a hard copy of God's Word, we have free copies back at the Next Step area in the back of this room. There also should be some copies in the chair rack there in front of you. Feel free to grab one of those. I think one of the best things we could pass along to you today would be a copy of God's Word, and I hope that you'll, uh, you'll read it and uh, just be open to what God has to say to you. You can also download a digital version of the Bible by using the YouVersion Bible app. It's a great app if you're not aware of that app, YouVersion Bible app, download it on your phone, your tablet. It's a great resource as well. Before we get to Jude, I, I need to share a couple things. First, we we have over 225 kids pre-registered for Adventure Camp. Uh, That's the most kids we've ever had pre-registered. I think that's the most kids we've ever had come to Adventure Camp, period. And so um, it's really good news, a lot of good buzz uh, in the community about it. Uh, But here's the deal, Um, we don't have enough volunteers right now to pull that off. And so... um, to meet kind of the demand of all the kids that are coming. I want to make an appeal to you today. We need 15 more group leaders uh, to rise up here in the church. And so we're we're going to have a person out in the lobby today to uh, answer any questions you might have, uh, to assist you in any way that we can. Uh, Take nothing away from O-Huddle too. Do that as well. But this is in a couple weeks. It's kind of urgent. And so if you could uh, dive into Adventure Camp with us, that would be awesome. We have an incredible opportunity to share Jesus with children and families. And we get to be a part of that, which is really cool. And so um, hope you'll step up to meet that need. Here's the second thing. I think we mentioned it maybe earlier in the service, but on Friday night, we lost a dear OCC family member. Jessica Steiner. She passed from injuries sustained in a motorcycle accident, and she was just 33 years old. Uh, Jessica was an all-star small group leader in our youth ministry. Uh, She went on mission trips with us. She did a lot of other activities with our students. She was a part of our young adult ABF class, which is meeting right now. Pray for that class. She was a faithful worshiper here on Sundays, and she was just someone who represented Jesus well. And her sudden death uh, reminds me, and, and I think it reminds all of us, of just how brief life is and how fragile it is, that it can be here one moment and it can be gone the next. That none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. And so that's why it's so important. I don't know where you're at today with God, but that's why it is so important that we be ready when that day comes for us. The Bible says that it is appointed for men and women to die once, and after this comes judgment. We need to be ready. And I'm so thankful that Jessica was ready. But make no mistake, 
It wasn't because Jessica was a good person, even though she was a really good person. No, Jessica was ready because she had put her faith and trust in Jesus and what he did for her and for all of us on the cross. See, we deserve death because of our sin. That's what we deserve. But get, we get to receive life because of God's amazing grace. We, we sang about it, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Forgiveness and eternal life with God are found in Jesus. He said it himself in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Man, I love that video we watched a few moments ago. Cole Snyder confessing his faith in Jesus and being baptized. I just want to ask this morning, what about you? Are you ready? You know, this, this idea that salvation is found in Jesus alone is not very popular today. A recent survey revealed that only 35%, basically one-third of Americans, believe that salvation is obtained through faith in Christ. On this July 4th weekend, one might wonder how much God's truth really is marching on in our world. But what happens when these false ideas and beliefs about Jesus and about salvation begin to work their way into the church? Well, that's exactly what was happening back in the first century when the church was only about 30 years old. And that's really what the book of Jude is about. Jude, the brother of Jesus, decided to, to write a letter and to address and attack this problem head on. I want you to look at verse 3, if you're open there to Jude. Verse 3, he writes this. He says, Dear friends, he's, he's got this love for, for, for the church here. He's like, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to what? Contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. It's interesting, that word urge there, you may want to underline it. It was used when an army general would give orders to his troops. There's a passion here behind these words. There's an urgency. According to the late preacher and theologian Warren Wiersbe, the atmosphere of this letter of Jude is military. That this is a fight. Jude is clearly saying we must fight for the faith because, you see, the faith has been delivered and the faith must be defended. But what, what is actually the faith? When he says there, contend for the faith, what, what is the faith? Well, in this context, it refers to the teachings of Jesus and the apostles. More specifically, it's the gospel, which is the message of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Or, or maybe even a more general sense, we could say it's the Bible as a whole. This book... The Bible, it contains the contents of the faith, 
the Old and New Testaments. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes that the church is built on the foundation of what? The apostles and prophets, their teaching, in other words. That's what the church is built on, with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. And so this this faith, this message, this, this truth, Jude says, has been delivered and entrusted to us, and we must defend it and fight for it. One of my professors in college, Dr. Jack Cottrell, he wrote a small book called Faith's Fundamentals, where he outlines and defends the core truths of the Christian faith. And in the introduction of the book, he writes this. He says, Satan works through various means, but the main weapon he uses against us is falsehood or false teaching. You see, this battle that we're in This military vibe that's in the book of Jude here, this is really a fight over what is true and what is false. Here at OCC, there are certain truths and beliefs that we hold to. You can review them at our website. You can go to orville.church slash beliefs. But I want to highlight two real quick here today. The first belief, the first truth that we hold to centers on the Bible. It says, we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. Did you know not every church believes that? We believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, that it's actually God's word. It is the supreme source of truth for Christian beliefs and living and the final authority for all matters of faith. In other words, The Bible's God's word. It's his revelation to us. It's it's truth. And our beliefs and behaviors should align with its message. And so if, if you have a question about the origins of the universe, for example, or what marriage should look like, or how you can begin a relationship with God, you can go to the Bible and find those answers. I hope you will. But there's another foundational belief, and it centers on Jesus. And this is a lot of what Jude is getting at in his letter. We believe that Jesus was God's only begotten son, was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, voluntarily died on the cross for our sins, and was bodily raised from the dead. This wasn't just some spiritual thing. He bodily raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven and now sits at the right hand of the Father and acts as an intermediary on our behalf. And one day, Jesus will return to earth and initiate the consummation of human history. One of the points here is that Jesus was not just a good moral teacher. That's a popular belief out there today. No, he he was not just a good moral teacher. Jesus was and is the Son of God. That's that's who he claimed to be. That's why he was crucified, right? He died on a cross. His body was resurrected from the dead. He is Lord. And one day he will return. Maybe some of these beliefs are new to you. Maybe, Maybe they're old hat. You've heard them before. But no matter where you're at today, it is so important that we know what we believe 
and that what we believe is the truth and that we guard it and we fight for it. Look at verse 4. Jude continues, he said, For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. There's some people here that have secretly, kind of deceptively sneaked into the church. And Jude says, They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Here's the core issue Jude is addressing in this letter. And that is there are false teachers coming into the church. They're ungodly. They're deceptive. They're secretly dividing God's people and they must be dealt with. Jude here sounds a twofold warning. Write these down. First he says, beware of those who distort God's grace. Those who take the grace and goodness of God as in the free gift of salvation that is available to everyone, right? But they use it as a license for sin. These false teachers were like, hey, you've been saved by grace, right? You've got your ticket to heaven. But you're free to live as you please. Just do whatever you want. No rules, no restraints, no one telling you what you should or should not do. And sadly, friends, this kind of thinking can and, and I believe has slipped into the church today. When we revel in God's grace, and God's grace is amazing, isn't it? But what do we do? We, we sneer at calls to holiness, purity, and forsaking the ways of the world. I mean, what's the big deal anyway, right? A little little pornography, a little profanity. Do you think that will really compromise my witness? Absolutely. And besides, it distorts the grace of God because God's grace is a grace that not only saves, but it's a grace that transforms. The Apostle Paul writes this in Romans 6. He says, what shall we say then? And he's just finished writing about the incredible grace of God and what Jesus has done on the cross for us. But he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. That's not it. We are those who have what? Died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may what? Live a new life. That's transformation. Beware of those that teach anything different than that. And then Jude sounds a second warning. He says, beware of those who deny our Lord. In this context, it appears that what these false teachers are denying is not the person and work of Jesus. What they are denying is his lordship. They separate his being Savior from his being Lord. 
By their sinful life and their abuse of God's grace, they deny his lordship in their lives. They are a law unto themselves, accountable to no one, including the sovereign Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the problem, and I think this is what Jude is getting at. If you deny Jesus as Lord, you forfeit him as Savior as well. It's a package deal. Jesus cannot be your Savior if he is not also your Lord. And this is what we must contend with. This is the faith we must fight for. And and to emphasize the urgency and severity of this, Jude continues in verses 5 through 16. And I'm just going to kind of give a survey of this. I know I'm not doing it justice. I'll come back to it next week, right? But first, write this down. He gives reminders from the past, starting in verse 5. He mentions six different examples from the Old Testament to warn and motivate the church to fight for the faith. If you want some homework this week, read verses 5 through 7 and verse 11, and then find the Old Testament passage that correlates with it. Jude is giving these reminders from the past, reminders of God's judgment to warn and motivate the church. He then moves on to give descriptors of the present. He calls out these false teachers. He says it like it is. He identifies who who they are and what they're like. For instance, verse 12. Look at verse 12. Middle of verse 12. He says, They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit, and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame. Wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Wow. In other words, these false teachers, Judas saying they're, they're useless. They're like clouds without rain. They're, they're, they're shameful. They're bound for eternal judgment if they do not repent. He's calling them out. And speaking of judgment, the section concludes with predictors for the future. It's interesting here, Jude actually quotes what is called the first book of Enoch, which was a contemporary Jewish writing at that time that his readers would have been familiar with. He's trying to connect with his audience here, and he uses it to pronounce God's judgment on the ungodly character and conduct of these false teachers. They're a mess. And Jude is saying their teaching and lifestyle must be contended with. Contend for the faith. Pastor James Merritt says this. He says, it is right to fight when you fight for what's right. It's right to fight when you fight for what's right. But we must fight right as well, right? Yeah, right. I'm supposed to say right. We must fight right as well. We, we must contend for the faith without being contentious about the faith. We must fight because we must, not because we enjoy picking a fight. And Jude goes on, we're going to get to this next week. How do we fight right? 
How do we really do this? It's not like what I see in some churches and by some Christians. We need to fight, we need to fight right. Look at what Paul says in 2 Timothy 2. He says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone. Do you hear that? We've got to be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be what? Gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the what? Truth. And that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. The year was 1517. It's going back a ways. An obscure Catholic priest named Martin Luther posted his 95 theses or arguments against the teachings and practices of the Catholic Church at that time. And the dramatic turning point in Luther's life occurred when he was in his study and his eyes fell on a passage of Scripture from Romans 1. Here's what it said. And here's what it still says today. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Man, this verse revolutionized Luther's understanding of salvation and how to have a right relationship with God. That it was by grace through faith in Jesus, not by works or through what was happening at that time, the selling of indulgences. The church, in an effort to raise money, sold indulgences as a way for people to literally buy their way into heaven. And Luther was like, enough. Enough. And so he posted his 95 arguments. But you know what? It came at a great cost. Contending for the faith will cost cost you. Opposition to the church, in Luther's case, meant a charge of heresy, possible torture and death, and certainly excommunication. And that's exactly what happened. Luther was so despised by the church that a death warrant was issued giving anyone permission to kill him. And so he had to go into hiding. But his strong stand and fight for the truth led to what is called the Protestant Reformation, which totally changed the landscape of Christianity in the church. That was 500 years ago. And still today, the fight for truth marches on. And like Luther, we need to be a part of that fight. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the faith that was once for all entrusted to us, your holy people. Father, help us to know the truth. Help us to live the truth. Help us to defend the truth. God, help us to heed this 
this warning, this, this plea from Jude. Help us to look within our own heart, in our own mind. God, help us to see any false ideas or beliefs that have crept in unaware. Help us to get back to your truth, God. God, may your Holy Spirit convict and do what only he can do. Help us now as we take our next step in Jesus' name.